So to kick us off, I would love us to read from 1 Corinthians. We will um, read through this. If you're here and visiting for the first time, maybe church is new to you, maybe you've been a few times, maybe you're exploring the Christian faith, I trust that as we look at this passage today, it'll give you a good picture of what Christ followers should look like, what the Christian faith should look like, and you'll be able to compare that, and I trust God will really speak to you on the back of it. So uh, let's read together. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 27. As a little bit of background, this is Paul writing to a church in Corinth at the time. He's been talking to them uh, in the chapters before about how it's just amazing that, um, that coming to Christ, no longer do you have to worry about what you eat and, um, and, and how you dress and those sorts of things. It, in God, God cares about your heart more than the outside. And then he's been sharing, ironically, just before this, on uh, the worker's wage as a pastor and saying he's actually so grateful that through all his travels, he hasn't had to worry about that. He could do demanded, but he didn't, but he is free in what God has called him to, and then we read here together. So uh, you can follow along there if you don't have a Bible, otherwise, um, let's go. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. This is Paul, right? You almost just, all his letters you just read without a breath. Just go for it. Um, because he didn't like full stops and short sentences. Um, Though I'm not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. Verse 22. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may, so that I may be every po- by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Perfect. So when I was in my younger years, I was in uh, the athletic team. Now, what was interesting is when it came down to athletics for me, I, in a 100-meter race, I was by far the quickest over the first 5 to 10 meters, hands down. And in a 400-meter race, the first 50 to 100, I could be light years ahead. The, the trouble I had was towards the end of the race, or in a 100-meter was the next 90 meters, uh, or in a 400-meter was the final like 250 meters. That was my struggle. So I used to always look brilliant, and like the supporters would be going crazy. They'd be like, yeah, like St. John's, and guys would be like, this guy is a machine. And then obviously it just started to go, and um, then my best was always like fifth. I just was like, every time I ran, I was like, Lord Jesus, please not eighth which is last, if you don't know athletics, please not eighth, please not eighth. That was like my goal. But it just happened in our year at school that there was no one else better. We just had a very weak year. So uh, that, that was me and that was mine the whole time. My prayer was just like, Lord Jesus, please, fifth, sixth, seventh, but just not eighth. And thankfully, I don't think I ever came last. But 
what you find in athletics is there's those who can finish strong and there's those who can't. So no matter how much training I did, no matter how much training I did in the weeks and the months before every single season, it made no difference to how I could finish a race. There were those ones where I would head off on the 400 meter and on the bend, on like sort of the 300 meter bend, I would just feel that lactic acid build up and your legs are jelly and they just didn't move. And the coach would say, no, move your arms fast, it'll make your legs move and breathe a different way, it'll make your legs move. It did not completely did not make my legs move. And I would be near the front, and then on that curve, you'd just see, foo, foo, foo. And these guys are just like, how is this even possible? It's like the end of the race, and nothing I did would make me move any faster at all. And uh, I thought to show someone who has the reverse ability to me, I have a video to play of uh, a man called um, Van Niekerk from South Africa, 2016 Olympic Games, who broke the 400 meter world record that had stood by Michael Johnson for years and years and years. So if you click to that one, and then one more click, and then leave it. Okay, perfect, so let's just watch this quickly. And you'll hear what the commentator says on the last 100 meters. Listen to what he says. Okay, so um, that I love at the end. So it's getting to the last 100, and you hear the commentator going. He's like, and Van Niekerk is tiring. No, he's not. He's speeding up. Now, that would never have happened to me. Now, Craig is tiring. It's slower and slower and slower. He's been overtaken by everyone. But um, Van Niekerk, it was like you can see the commentator is caught right by the end, and then suddenly he just um, bolts away and uh, blew a record that has been there for years and years and years. In fact, many people people had said, we don't think that this is going to be beaten um, in uh, the foreseeable future. So when we look at that and me talking about don't fizzle, time to sizzle, my prayer for us is don't. I got it right. Yes. Thanks, Ian. Whew. Just making sure I said it right. Don't want to be a cause for preaching <laughs> things that aren't biblical. So uh, when it comes to us looking towards the last three months of this year, getting towards that place, but also when we come to looking at our lives and the remainder of our lives, it's amazing how the Lord brings things together. So Rich had no idea what I was preaching on. I had no idea what he was going to share, but just what he shared and what he spoke into um, during the music is, is absolutely in line with what I want to share. But it's my prayer for your life and for ours at Harvest that this year we will not fizzle out in our faith, that in these three months it will not be a downward, slow, lactic acid buildup hobble to the end in our Christian faith, and it's my prayer for each of us in our lives, that our lives would not end off like that, running hard, and then just as we get older, the slower fade out, rather than a burn, increasing speed up to the end. That's why we're going to pick up this story over here. So if you can click uh, on again, thanks so much, and next one. Perfect. So First way, we're going to look at four quick points that will help you to sizzle, to be red hot for God in the next three months of this year, the final three months, and for the rest of your life as well. Guarantee you hands down. Very simple. You understand these and put these into practice, you will not fizzle out. You will sizzle for God. So first um, point is understanding to a real depth God's mercy and grace in our lives. We hear those words thrown about all the time, but do they actually set root in our hearts so that we understand them? If you just click to the next one, thanks. The first um, part there, tiny little bit. Although I am free from all. 
What was Paul talking about being free from? Well, he was saying, yes, I've, um, I'm free from these different regulations. I, I used to be one of these zealous um, uh, followers of, of Judaism, but actually I'm free from that. But he was really talking about he was free from the bondage of sin. He was free from trying to impress people. He was free from the need for people to, um, uh, to, to have to follow him and think highly of him. He was free from all of it. But why was he free from? What brought this freedom? because he understood mercy and he understood grace to a real deep extent. Paul understood what it meant to be in bondage to sin. In fact, he was called Saul. And he was called Saul and he was a persecutor of Christians. His goal was to make sure they were put in prison, was to make sure that they were killed. He oversaw um, executions. That was what he loved to do. That was his focus in life and God stopped him dead in his tracks. He excelled in Jewish traditions that led him to pride and arrogance. He was hard-hearted. He was destined for hell, but for him heading on the road to Damascus and the king of kings stopping him in his tracks and him experiencing an absolute life transformation. God showed him his calling to preach the gospel to the nations and his destiny in that moment was transformed forever. One who was in many respects absolutely horrific was turned into someone used for God's glory. And so he understood the mercy of God. He knew his sin was horrific. As you read through his letters, you see his understanding of that in light of God's glory. He didn't get the punishment he deserved. That's the definition of mercy, not getting what we deserve. That's the definition. God showed him grace. He became part of God's family. He received the richness of God's blessings on earth and now for all eternity. I can't wait to spend time with him in eternity to talk about uh, just who he is and get to know him. So the first step to sizzle for God and to not let your faith fizzle out into the mundane is to realize afresh the horror of your sin and mine and to realize afresh the mercy and the grace of God. If you don't get this, your faith will never be electric It'll never have real joy. It'll never be fully purposeful. You see, your problem and mine, most likely, maybe it's not the case, maybe it's just me. Your problem and mine is that we just don't think our sin is that bad. We don't. If we're honest, we look at others, we go, Paul, he needed the grace of God. That oak killed people. And we just sit and go, I just don't really need it. I'm actually not that bad. We subconsciously believe the cross is a lot more important to other people than us. It's for the real sinners. It's for the ones who really stuffed up in life and who really messed up. And it is kind of for me, but not necessarily to the extent. Friends, one lie, one word of gossip, one lustful thought is enough to destine you and I to hell forever. Forever. Just one. God is so holy, he is so glorious, he is so pure that his wrath against sin is unimaginable. Is our, is our sin, is my sin, disgusting and horrific enough to send me to hell? Yes, it most definitely is, without a doubt. But thank you for the grace of God, the lavish richness of his love towards us, the ultimate sacrifice of his sin. You see, our problem is we compare our sin with each other rather than with an absolutely perfect God. It's a completely different scale. He's not interested in this scale. 
It's about this, and he cannot be in the presence of sin. A few weeks ago, uh, our ex-president, which you all know, died. And I was amazed looking on social media. There were people celebrating. There were people cracking open the champagne. There were people saying, um, you know, funny jokes about uh, something like the value of hell's gone up by one bob and, and all these sorts of things. Now, if you understand hell, you would never celebrate the most terrible person ever going there. If you understand what hell is like, if you understand what the absence of anything good, of absolutely anything good is, because that's what hell is, the absence of anything good, because God's presence is not there. If you really understand that, you would not wish the most horrific person in all the world that you could think of to ever go there. You would never be able to do that. And if you understand grace, not even the most terrible person is beyond God's reach. If you understand it, if you look at Paul, he's a classic case in point. Many of the Christ followers would have looked and gone, that guy is beyond God's grace. What he has done in killing my friends and my family, he is beyond the grace of God. But no one is beyond it. No one is beyond God's reach. Some of you may have heard of Ted Bundy, known as the world's most uh, worst serial killer movie, just out about him. And uh, if, you, um, if you want to, you can go on YouTube, type up his final interview with James Dobson before he went to the electric chair. Some of you uh, may have already heard it or not, uh, that it was recorded a long time ago. I have no doubt that he is with Jesus, rocking it in heaven. No doubt. Killed something, raped and killed something like 27 women. Now, only God can, can really know, but just hearing him share and hearing share about God transforming his heart, I have no doubt. They showed the images of him, um, him obviously dead, the hearse coming out from the electric chair, and there were people lining the streets just cheering, like so excited. Guys calling themselves Christians, so excited that this Ted Bundy is gone. We finally got rid of him. And I just sat there going, how funny would it be? <laughs> Wouldn't be funny, it would actually be scary if Ted Bundy ends up in heaven and those people who have assumed that they understood grace or have been going to church every week end up separated from Jesus because they never understood the grace of God. Did Mugabe turn to Christ in his dying months? I don't know, we don't know. Was there a nurse in Singapore who somehow ended up talking to him and, and in his last few months he gave his life to Christ like the thief on the cross? Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. We don't know. But boy, do I pray for it. Boy, do I pray for it. Because we do not want anyone going to hell. No one. Not even the worst of the worst. Once you know and you understand God's grace, as Paul did, you truly can say you are free from all. You're free from the requirements of the law and trying to act a certain way on earth. But more importantly, you are free from the bondage and the grip of sin for all eternity. So what does that do for your faith and mine? What does it do? If we're really free from all, if we understand mercy and grace, what does that do for you and I? Well, if we click over to the next one, point number two, we get a gospel passion. We get a gospel passion. Uh, let's read again. Thanks if you can click through. Brilliant job, rocking the party. So if we read a bit further, although I'm free from all, so I understand grace and mercy, and I'm not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. 
to those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law. See, when we understand mercy and grace, this is, this, is, this is your gauge. This is how you know if you've got mercy and grace. You are desperate for other people to know it. That's your gauge. If you've got God's grace, if you understand your sin and you've got his mercy for your sin, the gauge of it is how passionate are you to see other people get that same grace and mercy. That's your gauge. That's your gauge. So if you don't have that passion for the lost, then you need to step back and you need to go, okay, I probably don't understand grace and mercy as I should. And then you move forward from there. So Paul became a servant of all, put others before himself, uh, before himself because he was like eternal destinies are at stake. People who don't know Christ need to know Christ. So I don't care about myself and my desires, what Rich was sharing earlier because I wanna see people come to faith. He says there, uh, to the Jews, he became like a Jew. Do you know the extent that him and some of his followers, his understudy, Timothy, went to reach people that were different? He made Timothy get the chop. So Timothy got circumcised as a fully grown man, no antiseptic, uh, no um, putting you to sleep, thank you very much. Why, and why was Timothy happy to do it? So that they could reach the Jewish community. So they could be in the mix and they would be accepted when they shared because they were appearing like that. So they were prepared to do that just so that they could see some people saved who would take them more seriously if that happened. That's the extent that they cared about reaching the lost and broken. What does that mean for you and I? What does that look like? To become like someone else who isn't ourselves and we don't necessarily buy into what they do. Well, if it was in another nation, it might mean getting stuck into their culture. You go to an Arab place and you dress the way that they do. Why? So that you earn an opportunity to share in their hearts. Maybe you go to another nation. Well, you learn about the culture. You learn about the customs. You learn about the different types of food, even if you hate it. You learn about that stuff. You get stuck into it. Why? So that some might be one for the gospel. Some might be one for the gospel to the ones uh, to win the Jews to those under the law like one under the law um, to those who are without the law talking about the Gentiles those who weren't Jews they ate different foods they ate dirty foods in the eyes of the Jews but he's like I want to eat the food that these guys are eating I want to be part and parcel of them so that they'll listen to what I have to say Maybe for you, if we put that in a Zim context, um, maybe for you, if you're a white person and you're going, well, I, I just want to reach some different people. Maybe that would be you going, great. I'm going to get stuck into, um, in that area, whatever else that, that God's put on my heart. Do you know what? The guys in that area love to eat goat. But I just would love a goat as a pet. I can't think of myself ever eating goat. But guess what? For the sake of the gospel, I'm going to head there. And if there's goat for lunch, I'm going to eat goat for lunch. If there's Mapani worms that I hate, but they happen to get served up, I'm going to eat Mapani worms. Why? For the sake of the gospel. That was Paul's heart. He was like, I am going to do whatever it takes to give me an opportunity for people to experience God's rich mercy and grace. We um, skip one more if you go on to the next one. Um, to the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people. Every possible means save some. What does it mean to become weak? It's people in life who are struggling. There's those who, to you it seems like rocket science, but to them it's just a struggle. There's people who in their faith, maybe they'll explore for a bit 
And then maybe there's someone with a drug addiction, for example. They'll get stuck into church and they'll be there for a bit and um, or they'll, they'll come and visit and then you'll find out next week that, oh no, they've had overdose after overdose. And you'll spend time with them again. And spend time with them again and they'll come and visit and you'll share a bit more about faith and then they'll slip back into drug addiction again. And the cycle will repeat itself for month after month to the week we become weak so that we might win some. The church I was at in Cape Town, we had uh, this, the, this ministry which was working with drug addicts and a number of the people who were ex-drug addicts would then help in the ministry. There was a house, a safe house. They would then get stuck into catering in the church and it was tough. Many of those people who, uh, who, who came out of the system and then helped train would then, as they were looking after those in the house, would get back into drug addiction because the temptation was so much. And then they would need to be rehabilitated again and the cycle would continue. But whatever, we all have weaknesses. People who do know Jesus and don't know Jesus have weaknesses. Are we prepared to help people in weakness so that they might come to know Christ? We do this all why? Because God loves them, because Christ loves them. So that we might win some. So that just some, just one of our family members, just one of our friends, just one of our business colleagues might come to faith as a result of us listening to Jesus. Friends, let's get over ourselves and our self-satisfying lives of inward-looking faith that does no damage to the enemy's work on earth. I actually believe that once we really understand grace and mercy, it's impossible to live for ourselves. Yes, there'll be moments, but when we really get it, it's impossible. We'll naturally be looking. We'll be naturally outward-looking. So we just need to ask God for more of that. When you get grace and mercy, you experience a passion for those who don't have it. Pride and mercy seep away. A desire for self-preservation and comfort begins to fade. You're overtaken by a deep yearning for others to experience what you've experienced in Christ. So the question is, is do you and I have that desire today? And if we don't have that desire, there'll be time at the end of the service, but it's just to say, Lord Jesus, afresh, please show me my sin in light of your holiness so that I understand mercy and please show me your love for me so I just get grace. He'll do that. Some of you are gonna have to ask him over and over again because we can get so hard-hearted. We just ask him over and over again. He'll give it to you. Perfect. Next one. So get mercy and grace. That'll give you a gospel passion. As you have those two, you'll start to experience eternal blessing and reward. If you click to the next one. Um, so verse 23. Now I do all of this. I become a servant. I become weak. I do all of that because of the gospel, the good news of Christ, so that I may share in the blessings. I may share in the blessings. It talks about sharing in the blessing of the gospel. It's not talking about physical blessing. It's not talking about, oh my goodness, we share the gospel and then we get stuff. It's amazing. It's not sharing about that talking about spiritual blessing and upliftment. It's talking about the blessing you receive. I don't know if you've received this. It's probably the greatest blessing, one of the greatest blessings you can receive on earth is to lead a friend or someone and to see them come to Christ before your very eyes. You don't do anything, God does it. But the privilege of seeing someone transformed by the gospel is electric. It is electric to see it happen. And I think that's what he's talking about. When you see people's lives change as a result of the gospel, that blessing is 
astounding. Nothing compares to it. Then he moves on to a sporting imagery. He says, don't you know that the runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize, run in such a way as to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So Paul uses sporting imagery a lot of the time. That's why he's a great guy. If he was here today, he would be watching World Cup, hands down. So uh, he, he's a great friend of ours. Um, the others don't really talk that much about sport, but he was, he was in it. He used to love it. So boxing and athletics. Corinth was home to the biennial uh, Isthmian Games, second only to the Olympic Games. So everyone he was writing to, they would have known about these big athletic events. It would have been part and parcel of their culture. Now, every athlete that we watched in that video earlier wanted to be Vanny Cook. All of those eight running, I can guarantee, were there because they wanted to win and they would have loved to break that world record. They all wanted to win that prize. They were all after that prize. Every time I ran, I wanted to win. It ended up being fifth, sixth, or seventh. But I think towards the end of my uh, athletic season, lower six and upper six, I started to go, well, if I, if I get fifth, it's like a win for me. But, uh, <laughs> but they were after the win. Our prize as Christ followers is open to us all, and it's an eternal prize. It will not perish or fade like a cup. They used to wear those wreaths, those plant wreaths that have been cut, and those things would have lasted a day or two. So what a great picture of something someone wore on the day, we've just won the race, and then maybe it would have lasted a day or two, and it would start to fade. Our prize doesn't disappear like a monetary reward. Don't live for that that will not last. Don't fix your eyes on temporary pleasures and achievements. Fix your eyes on the prize that will last forever. And the incredible thing is that in the race for Christ, we can all win the prize. In that real race, there's only one winner. When it comes to Christ, because he's given us each a unique race to run, he has set up for us a prize that each of us can win as Christ followers by listening to him and running the race he calls us to. We're not after the same prize as our friend. We're not after doing the same thing as someone else that we know. We all can have the opportunity to win the prize that God's marked out for each of us. How often is our focus as Christ followers on earthly reward or earthly blessing. Keep thinking on that each day. Next one, jump across. Ah, sorry, back one more, back one more. Perfect, okay, I'll read this again. The fourth point, it'll come at the end, but I've got the order a bit wrong, is uh, discipline and training. Fourth thing. First thing, understand mercy and grace. Second thing, should remember that, hey, gospel passion, awesome. Third one, eternal and spiritual blessing and reward. Fourth one, that all comes about through discipline and training. Look at some of these phrases here. So first one, run in such a way as to win the prize. Run, talks about effort. It's not a slow jog or a walk. It doesn't say walk the track to win the prize or skip in the meadows to win the prize or have a gentle stroll around the block to win the prize. Run the race to win the prize. It's a race and it takes effort, we run it. It's not a walk in the park, we run hard after it. And then look at a few others that he, he comes. He talks about competing, he talks about exercising self 
control. He talks about not running aimlessly, so there's a purpose and there's a focus. Next one. And then I discipline my body. I put it under strict control. Amazing, all these words on discipline, on training. In order to sizzle and not fizzle, it'll take you and I purposeful discipline, focus, and self-control with God's help. That's time, that's effort, but it's so worth it. You see, in the Christian faith, there is no retirement. There is no retirement when it comes to the Christian faith. You don't hear stories in the Bible of the disciples relaxing in a little coastal complex on the sea edge of the Sea of Galilee, putting up their feet for their last 30 years, just, just gonna relax, we've done our work for Jesus, we were there when he was there, we helped start the churches, and now just our feet are up, and we every now and then catch a little fish, Every now and then we would pray for that miraculous fish like Jesus did. It doesn't happen like that uh, all the time. But that's what we just do. And we just spend our days just reclining and relaxing. Thinking of the good old days when we lived for Jesus. Relaxing and waiting for eternity to arrive. For the Christ follower, there is no cruising to the end of your life. Into an inward looking retirement. And wasting the last few moments you have on earth. And if you feel that, there's a major problem with your understanding of the gospel because the biblical writers definitely didn't see the gospel as a quick ticket to heaven and then just live pretty much for yourself. That's the opposite of the gospel focus. There's no resting from the call of God to see the lost saved, to, to see disciples made, and to see the kingdom advanced. There is resting of our bodies. There's resting and recharging. There are holidays. There are days of rest. Those are recharging for the gospel advance that God calls us to. Will your physical life slow down to a pace um, a little bit slower? Yes. Will your housing change and maybe where you, where you live change? Yes, most likely it will. Will your body slow down and not work as it did before? Yes, it probably will. But will your desire to see the lost saved wherever you are fizzle out? Not if Christ has gripped your heart. Then you'll run hard into heaven, whether you're 70 or 80 or 90, or 20 or 30. I'll close off just with a, a very quick bit video. A number of years ago, there was a pastor called John Piper. Some of you may have heard of him. He gave a talk about earthly retirement. And uh, I just want you to listen to it. It's about two minutes, and then uh, I will close off. So discipline and training. So I would be devastated for this church, for you, my friends, to be disqualified from the eternal prize because your focus was on a fading earthly perishable wreath. Doesn't mean that we, you would miss out on uh, salvation. I don't think so. I think that's a free gift of God. Although I would also say that when you get saved and when you come to faith, it puts in you a deep desire to live all out for Jesus. So I would say that there is fruit to our decision. But when we compare an imperishable wreath and reward I don't want to see any of us disqualified as Paul shared at the end. I think that I put it up there right at the end. If you click over to the next. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So the question for us is, in the last bit of 2019 with the chaos that's happening in Zim, Will we run the race? Will we sizzle 
and not fizzle for the next three months. When it comes to our lives, the last few moments, whenever that is, and as Rich shared earlier as well, we don't know when that is. Maybe that's today for one of us driving home. Maybe it's in a year's time. But will we live in such a way to go, Lord, I don't wanna be disqualified from the prize and I will do whatever it takes at any cost to see the lost saved. But Craig, the, last, the lactic acid, it burns. <laughs> it's burning now these last three months. The economy's crazy, life is in chaos. Run the race to win the prize. Run the race to win the eternal prize. I just want us to do a little bit of, uh, just as I close. I think what God would be doing now is he would be challenging you and I, whether we call ourselves Christ followers or not, he would be calling us and he would be saying, are you prepared to go to any length so that some might be one? He would be calling you to say, have you understood my mercy and my grace? He would be calling you to say, is your desire on comfort, safety, security, on a perishable wreath in this lifetime? Or is it on what matters most? And so my challenge to each of you, and, and, and maybe just as a sign, I mean, uh, this, is, this is always such a good challenge when we respond physically, but I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, will you run? Maybe you've been strolling, maybe you've been walking, maybe you've been uh, dancing in the field, as I said. But he's saying, will you run? In these three months, for the rest of your life, Will you run? If that's, and, and if that's you and you're saying, yes, Lord, I, I, I want to affirm that today. I want to I I affirm that today in my heart and keep me running for the rest of my life. Keep me running until the day that I die. I'd love you to stand just to say, I, I affirm that today. I, I want to do that today, God. Lord Jesus, may our physical actions be a true reflection of a heart transformation. May our physical actions be a true, a true showing between, between you and us of saying, God, we want to run this race. Friends, one day when we stand before King Jesus and every single one of us will and we will give an account for our lives, we will. Lord Jesus, I pray that for this church, for those who are, who are visiting and maybe don't even yet know you in this room, but for us for the rest of our lives, I pray that it be this tremendous opening that as we walk, whatever it looks like, but as we walk down, um, down the amazing hallway to your throne and we see you before us, that we have this dad with arms open wide going, well done, I'm so proud of you. You ran the race. You didn't fizzle out. You were red hot your whole life. Yes, you had ups and downs, but your heartbeat and your passion and your desire 
was to live out what I called you to. Lord Jesus, only you can do that in our hearts. Only you can do it. I pray that you transform our hearts by your word. I pray that you transform our hearts by your work in our lives, Holy Spirit. But I ask that as a result of today, there would be a transformation. That some of us here in this room who've been after comfort, we've been Christ followers, but if we're really honest, we're after what feels good for us. I ask there would be a supernatural transformation that suddenly we would care about others than ourselves. For those of us who have been focused on and building um, earthly, um, earthly rewards, that right now today in the spirit, there'll be a change and those things would have no hold on us anymore, God. That our focus would be on you and building what's most important. Father, please give us a hunger and a desire so that others would know your mercy and grace. In your amazing name we pray, amen.